0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio today. I'm Darren Hefty, along with my brother Brian. We're going to be talking about crop protection programs for canola, the crop. Not trying to kill canola, trying to save canola and get maximum yield, but we can also talk about cleaning up volunteer canola, if you're worried about that, for future crops as well today. We're also taking your calls and questions at 844 844- Forty-four Ag PhD or you can send us an email radio at agphd.com. Brian you're out on the road a little bit today. Uh, What's up?
1: Well just a lot of flooding issues and you know questions about spring planting and everything. It's early. It's March. So I'm really not that concerned. I think things are going to get planted. Things are going to get planted close to on time. And I'm really excited for the season. Yes, I mean, we have challenges as always, but I think things are going to end up being pretty good. I
0: do too. I, I think we're going to be okay. And I'm, I'm kind of excited that things are starting to improve here and we're getting into spring. We're seeing a lot of the snow in the north going away, which unfortunately the rivers are, are overly full. But. Uh, it's still nice to see out in fields. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the ground is is getting closer to being able to be farmed, which is nice. And of course, in the south and in other regions in the country where planting's already going on and crops are already coming up, that's kind of exciting too. It's fun to fun to talk about all those in crop issues and forget about winter.
1: Yeah. So you know, like we we talk about the the canola weed control programs, and here's one of the things that that ends up happening. So a lot of the canola growing area, it has, still has snow. And so people are, are already talking to me, worried about what's going to happen this spring and everything else. The whole thing is, what I, here's what I found in, in life and in business and in farming, is if you're worrying about all the things you can't control, then pretty soon what happens is you don't have enough time to spend on the things you can control. So that's why we've got to talk about, okay, what's, what's our plan? Certainly, we have to plan for adversity, don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying we've got to really take a hard look at what are our best ways to control these different weeds that we've got out there, along with insects, diseases, what's the best thing we can do for fertility. If we just simply handle all these things that we are responsible for, we're going to be in pretty good shape most of the time.
0: I agree. We, we need to start looking at what we can control. And, and certainly there are some weeds now, Brian, that are becoming a real challenge. And, and oftentimes when we're looking at Really any crop. We're not just looking at, well, what does it take to control that weed in this crop? We're also looking at, what is our rotation? How can we? How else can we help ourselves control some of these tough weeds, especially when they're resistant to Roundup and additional chemistries? If we've got a rotational crop, if we've got a cover crop coming in that we could choke them out, uh, what else can we do? What other options are on the table? And, you know, when we look at canola, it's not like we don't have any options. We've got Liberty Link canola. We've got Clearfield canola, Roundup-ready canola. So we've got some herbicide-tolerant canola varieties that we can choose from, but we still want to mix things up. We still want to use as many different effective modes of action as we can.
1: Yes, absolutely. And the key that you said there is effective modes of action. And that's one of the things I get frustrated about a lot. and We talk about it a fair amount here on Ag PhD. is just, I realize you can buy a lot of different modes of action, but how many are actually effective on the weeds you're after? So even like You you mentioned volunteer canola. So I'm going to talk about that just a second before we get into today uh, and talking about weed control in the crop canola. But there are a lot of people struggling with that volunteer control. And so now I'm getting questions about Enlist. Okay, is Enlist a good option? Is Extend a good option in soybeans? Sure it is. Because with those chemistries, I can get volunteer canola under control. But I've got to spray early. I've got to be timely. If I let things get big, just like if I let any other weed get big, now I've got a real problem. But do I want to do it with one mode of action? Do I want to get two or three modes of action out there? What am I going to do with this? But let's say that I've got canola that's resistant to Roundup, and I go out with Roundup and 2,4-D. Okay. Well, I only have one effective mode of action. Yes, I realize there are two modes of action, but I only have one that's effective. So that's what we got to be focused on all the time.
0: You know when we think about it uh, all right I mentioned a few different herbicide tolerant canolas like Roundup Ready what are you going to spray if you use say you use some trifluralin down we see a lot of guys going out with like a pint and a half of trifluralin down it's cheap I get it that's that you get pretty decent grass control out of that and some small seeded broadleaves but if you're in Roundup Ready canola what are you spraying post emerge Roundup and if you've got Roundup Ready canola or Roundup Ready pigweeds, or you, the list goes on and on with the weeds that you aren't going to get under control. Same thing could be said with Clearfield varieties because you've got ALS resistance basically in the, the canola. But again, you're starting off a lot of times with trifluralin and then coming back with Beyond, which is a really nice herbicide. It's just if you get ALS resistant weeds, you're not going to get them under control. And that leaves you with Liberty Link canola. And Yeah, Liberty is working well so far, but how long is that one mode of action going to hold up if we keep using it over and over again? We need to make sure in rotational crops, we're not using Liberty and not using liberty link crops to rotate with. That way, uh, we've got something to control the canola, number one, uh, but also we've got something to break up that herbicide resistance possibility where it's not just Liberty every year.
1: Yep, I agree 100%.
0: You know, the other thing, though, Brian, when we look at some of the other crops, like like take corn, for example, say corn's in the rotation. We've got some of these stack traits now that have roundup resistance and liberty resistance. And we need to be aware of that if we're out in uh, canola and we're spraying liberty, probably not going to kill all the volunteer corn because some of that is also going to be tolerant to liberty. So make sure you're checking on those kinds of things when you're looking at what your rotation is going to be. Uh, Brian probably the biggest thing we get on canola is all right if I have any volunteer canola how do I get that under control and you know there's a lot of good options one of them that's come on to the market now is the new enlist soybeans uh, which the 240 is going to be a significant upgrade from using dicamba in dicamba
1: dicamba yeah yeah both of them are not great if you let the canola get big though.
0: Yeah, well, it's like, it's like a lot of the weeds that we'll talk about on today's program. If we can control them when they're small and they don't have very many growing points, it's so much easier, especially when we're talking about broadleaf weeds that'll have 20 or 30 or even more growing points on them as they get a little size to them. We're talking about canola crop protection programs today, also answering your agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right
2: back. White mold, sudden death syndrome, root rot. If you raise soybeans, it may seem like you have all the cards stacked against you when it comes to disease. But did you know there is a new cost-effective seed treatment which can help prevent all three? Heads Up Seed Treatment offers a new proactive approach for dealing with fungal and bacterial diseases. Compatible with other seed treatments, hedge your bet against disease this spring. Ask your dealer for Heads Up today. To locate a dealer, visit HeadsUpST.com.
0: Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio today. Safely uh, high above floodwaters, we've got some of our farm ground along the river bottom that's flooding pretty, uh, pretty uh, badly today. Uh, but you know, hopefully, here in another week, week and a half, we'll we'll get through this situation. We normally start planting mid-April, so the 10th to 15th would be uh, kind of a start date, target start date for us, and we'll certainly have some upland ground that could be ready by that time and yeah, hopefully by the time we reach the first of May we'll be able to get back in that river bottom ground as well. Uh, one of the things that we're concerned about is weed control and today's topic we're talking about weed control and crop protection in general in canola. We've got Jason with us right now up in Alberta. Jason, how's it going for you? Hey, not too bad there. Uh, what's the What's the spring melt look like in your area?
3: Actually, we've um a lot of our snow is gone we uh, we didn't have uh, have a whole lot here and then we did get up to some uh, you know nice uh, uh, plus temperatures we've been as high as uh, um, ten degrees Celsius here uh, so I think that's like fifty Fahrenheit for the last uh, couple of weeks during our daytime highs awesome and so a lot of the a lot of the snow has melted and and gotten away and so yeah we can't uh, we, we might get another shot of winter but uh and, and a little bit more snow at Seems to happen sometimes in April, but right now we're uh, we're seeing quite a bit of bare ground.
0: Outstanding, we're in good shape. Okay, I want to talk a little about canola today, and where does your program start with canola? Does it start in the fall? Does it start in the spring with a residual treatment, or do you wait till in crop?
3: Yeah, so for most of what we're trying to do in uh, canola is start with a pretty good uh, pre-seed burn-off. We're in a in a no-till or or never-till situation, so. We're we're trying to um, you know manage everything with uh, with herbicide as far as the weeds go, and and doing that pre seed burn off for us has been uh, has been probably the best thing we've done, and and then in the last little bit here we've we've been tank mixing that uh, that pre seed burn off um, roundup with something like um, we've used Conquer, which is kind of like a bromoxynol, and then some carfenterzone, so a um, or, or just even the the partner product, the bromoxynil, and um, and then that gets rid of any of the uh, um, the Roundup Ready volunteers that might be coming. Either if we're going into a Roundup Ready canola, or even a Liberty Liberty Link system.
0: Yeah, I like having multiple modes of action in there, and and that seems to be pretty effective. When, when you talk about uh, a wide range of weeds, Roundup used to be just awesome, of course, uh, but, but now we got to kill those Roundup-resistant ones, too. When, when you get in crop, and, and we can talk about weed control, but I also don't want to forget about bugs. I don't want to forget about um, anything else that you're doing, maybe disease management, those types of things. But to clean up any of those escapes, are you using a certain trait package in canola? Do you like Liberty Link canola, for example, or, or what are you using?
3: Yeah, for the most part, it's uh, on the farm. We're we're doing both Roundup and Liberty, probably half and half, and um, and that t- for us, it's it's a it's the option of being able to to take advantage of both systems. So, um, you know, half the canola acres will end up being Roundup ready, and the other half are are usually Liberty Link, and. Um, one of the things we are trying that is a little bit different this year is we, we did buy some of the, the new TrueFlex um, Roundup Ready canola on our, uh, our decalb stuff. And um, so we're going to do some some of the TruFlex. And I think what that's going to give us is a little bit more um, tolerance to the Roundup in crop. And so instead of having to stop spraying Roundup kind of at that bolting stage or earlier when we saw buds, um, we can go right up to uh, up to that first flower with the Roundup at a at a at a little bit higher rate, even they say, so we can get some of those later later weeds. Because we tr- some of the time, you know, even if we do our burn our, our pre-season or pre-seed burn-off, uh, getting back in and some of the flushing weeds like maybe wild oats or or even wild buckwheat. We were weren't quite getting enough on there to, or or having that chance to go back in with a later pass, if the um, uh, if they came later in the season. So hopefully, with this TruFlex uh, technology, we can spray a little bit later and and clean things right up.
0: Yeah, that is that is definitely helpful having a little wider window of of application. I like what you're doing too with starting off with a good burn down uh, to to try and start clean. Uh, and then in your no-till, I would assume crop rotation really plays into to weed control too.
3: Yeah, like our, you know, we try to do, uh, for most of the part, it's, there's a pea, wheat, canola rotation, and then, and then using the two different uh, herbicide systems. So, you know, whether it's every other time it's canola, it'll be either Roundup or Liberty, but uh, trying to do that and then um, I don't know. Kind of with, with the way markets and stuff are going, we're we're looking at putting a bit of a few acres into uh forage grass seed production, so a little bit of uh fescue or even perennial ryegrass in, in some of the fields and and see if that can help uh give us a, a few different options that way.
0: How about in terms of insects? Do you have much for insect issues when you're in that three crop rotation? That certainly has to help.
3: Oh, for sure. I think I don't know, our, we've got tons of flea beetles. Like where we are up in the peace country here in, in northern Alberta, uh, we've had a population of the uh, striped flea beetles. And, um, you know, the the seed treatment does does as good as it can, or it's a good on on that for flea beetles. But uh, sometimes whenever we get like a windy windy spring or, or if it's uh, kind of cool or whatever, we'll see will those striped flea beetles not... Doing as much um, leaf feeding, but they'll actually do a lot of stem feeding, and so and they're going along and nipping, nipping the stems. And the wind comes, and and we lose quite a bit of our stand that way. And, and especially with canola being that growing point right at the top of the plant, we get a couple little notches on the stems, and, and that canola is gone. So it, if we if we do see that that's happening, we'll come in with a with a insecticide application. Um, with a with, with that first pass of herbicide or or on its own even uh, just to get those flea beetles, um, we've had some areas where cutworms have been an issue, and um, probably our best option there is we are getting some of our seed uh, treated with um, uh, some of the cutworm insecticides. So whether it's going to be for Tenza or lumiderm on that uh, on that canola seed for the cutworms, because I know that's that's a lot lot easier to to do with a seed treatment than an in-crop herbicide or an crop insecticide.
0: Yeah, the the difference that the seed treatments have made, I know just in my lifetime going from not really putting much on other than maybe dealing with some secondary bugs that are in the soil, but but the difference we're making on those early season bugs has been really remarkable and and very helpful. I think it's one of those things like for, for us on the farm, I know my dad was concerned about, could we get back in there early season and spray when we're trying to do 18 other things on the farm and, and the little bit that it costs to add on a little insecticide on the seed treatment was well worth it for us. And I know we could sleep much better at night knowing that, okay, we're not missing anything here and we're safe.
3: Yeah, for sure. The cut ones. What I find, um, you know, talking with guys and even at our place, it's uh, it's a revenge spray. By the time you see the patches, <laughs> yes. Whereas if you, where if you've got the Fertenza on already, uh, you just don't even see the problem.
0: You know, in, in terms of disease issues, do you have a lot of disease issues that you're fighting in canola
3: in your area? Uh, we do get um, we do get some blackleg as. Has a bit of an issue, and uh, and then of course sclerotinia if we've got some moisture. And on the blackleg, we've been pretty you know fortunate with some of the uh, um, hybrids that we can get that are um, multigenic blackleg trait resistant. So on some of those fields where we know we've got a bit of a history of some blackleg or um, you know doing our stem stem cuts in the fall or whatever, seeing that population is there, then you know doing something, something with the multigenic uh, black leg resistance trait package and um, yeah, and the, then in
0: the varietal selection thing it, is just huge on some of these uh, disease issues and yeah you mentioned uh, black leg how, how big a deal that is and I tell you what on the sclerotinia I might talk about that here a little bit later in the show we want to I I don't know. Sclerotinia is probably one of the big issues that we fight on our farm in our soybean crop. We aren't raising canola here, but but in soybeans and sunflowers, that's been a huge issue uh, down in our neck of the woods. Uh, Jason, hey, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Thanks for sharing about what you're doing on your canola.
3: Awesome. Thank you.
2: Stay tuned. We'll be right back. No secrets here, we all know, regardless of the markets balanced crop nutrition pays. AgroLiquid fertilizers have the research, technology, and products you need to grow a great crop. We also have an outstanding team of field agronomists ready to help you determine the best use of your fertilizer dollar. AgroLiquid can help you maximize your yield potential effectively and economically. Visit agroliquid.com to find a dealer near
4: you.
2: Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better. Built stronger. Lasts longer. Learn more at MortonBuildings.com. One year it could be moisture stress, another pythium or nematodes. So you need your soybeans to rise ready for whatever the season holds. Now one simple decision provides coverage on four fronts. The Acceleron portfolio, fungicides, insecticides, bio enhancers, and an industry leading nematicide that strikes where nematodes attack. This season rise stronger with Acceleron seed treatment products. Learn more at acceleronsas.com slash ready. Performance may vary. It's important to use proper PPE when handling treated seed. Pasture should have two things, grass and cattle. No weeds, no brush. That's why Chaparral Herbicide offers the broadest spectrum weed control available. It controls weeds other products can miss, like buckbrush and Canada thistle. And less weeds and brush in your pastures means more forage, so you spend less on feed. Chaparral also suppresses seed heads, lessening the effects of fescue toxicosis, all while providing season-long residual control. Visit NoWeedsNoBrush.com today and learn more about Chaparral.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Broadcasting from the Morton studio today, we've been talking a little about canola and crop protection, and uh, we got into something just right at the end of the first uh, first segment there. We were talking with Jason up in Alberta, and he said, you know, uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on out there. We talked through... Um, pre- and post-emerge weed control, which I think is great that he's got a two-pass approach. I'd strongly recommend that, regardless of what crop you're in. Uh, When it comes to the seed treatment insecticide, though, this is one that it doesn't really matter what crop you're raising this year. There's a lot of crops utilizing seed treatment insecticides for certain pests, and it varies a little bit depending on which crop you're in, but uh, I look like for our farm in corn and soybeans and wheat, this is something that we don't want to skip out on. Um, Jason had mentioned flea beetles and how he's getting help. And it's certainly not like going to be the total answer if you've got heavy, heavy pressure. But for a low pressure type situation, and definitely to get the first pass out in the field and at least take out a, a good chunk of those flea beetles. But seed treatment insecticides is really important. And you mentioned cutworms and some of the things that they're doing to to fight them. You know, I look at not only the the bugs that are attacking the seed in the soil that I'm never going to see, a wireworm or a seed corn beetle or a seed corn maggot, something like that, but also look at those early season aphids. That seems to be a big thing in a number of crops and a number of different areas um, in, across North America that were fighting a lot of aphid pressure. And they're becoming more resistant, some of the species anyway, uh, to things like the pyrethroid insecticides that are spraying post-emerge. So if you can use a different mode of action on our seed treatment, like a Neonic, for example... Now we've got a couple different modes of action going out in the field, and and we've got one that's effective pre. We can switch up if that pyrethroid's not working post to something different and still take two different shots at those bugs and not let them wreak havoc on our crops. Uh, And then we get into the disease issues a little bit. Foliar. I think here, too, uh, one of the things I I didn't – get a chance to talk about it's how important that fungicide on the seed treatment is and getting off to a good start. We, we've mentioned some of the different seed treatment active ingredients that we're using. Uh, one of them um, that, that we've been using now in corn as well has been ethoboxam, uh, and that's, that's really made a difference for us on pythium control. But on so many crops, we're relying on metalaxyl still or its close derivatives to be our pythium control. So again, here's something that I would say not very many farmers are really up on what the different choices are for fungicides that are going on the seed treatment package. In many cases, when I'm asking farmers around uh, North America, it's, well, I've got a dealer that's a few miles away from my farm and he treats my seed. Well, what does he use? Not really sure. I just buy the quote-unquote complete package. It may be good. It may be really good, but it's just one of those things that you need to ask the dealer and say, okay, talk to me about this package. Why are you choosing this to be the package that you're going to offer and and recommend for most growers? And what do each of those components do? Because you may find specific fungicides out there to help you on problems in your area. For us, uh, where we farm, and I just had mentioned earlier to start the show off, we've got some river bottom ground, it's been flooding we end up with pythium issues down in those areas and we end up with some Phytophthora as well. And so we're looking what seed treatments are going to specifically address those issues above all else. Uh, And then Jason also mentioned sclerotinia. And you know what? We're using some heads-up seed treatment, but it's just one of the things that we're doing because I've talked to some growers that say, hey, I heard you guys talk about heads-up or I I saw something at your field day that you had some heads-up on. Yeah, we do. And and that's a nice start. But now we've got to watch what we've got out there. So yeah, if we can reduce our pressure just a little bit, that's great. Uh, we may do something like cantans on the soil. We may do um, foliar fungicide treatments on a pretty regular basis when we were worried about sclerotinia. And we've got some soybean ground this year that will be going back into some fields that have a history. So we'll be watching that right at first bloom in our crops. And then we'll come back every couple of weeks until that threat is gone, trying to, to manage that. So yeah, canola is no different. There's a lot of things to manage. There isn't this easy crop. Sometimes I'll, I'll talk to growers in, in different areas and I'll say, oh man, you guys are talking about canola and that sounds like you can make some money raising that. Yeah, you can. You can make some money raising canola if you manage it well, just like every crop out there. So uh, hopefully you got a couple of ideas uh, from from today, and uh, and then the last question is just controlling the volunteer canola. And Brian said, "Well, we can we can be effective with a number of different products." You certainly can. If you get canola in the rotation, you want to look at some of the different pre-emerge herbicides that have activity on canola, one of them being Valor. We've had some pretty good luck with Valor, but there are others as well. And then post-emerge have an option where you can control it. So if you've got uh, Liberty Link Canola, for example, and there's a little bit of volunteer left in the field, obviously Liberty isn't going to kill that in your next crop. So I like having some different tools in the arsenal. I like 2,4-D. But like Brian mentioned, you can't let the canola get great big and and expect that a low rate to 240 is going to get it. So like all other weeds, manage them when they're small, uh, be aggressive, uh, use a couple different modes of action, and you shouldn't have any problem. All right, uh, got a lot of questions coming in today, and I want to take some time on today's program to get to our Ag PhD It's the mailbag! First question comes in from Alex, and uh, he said, You used to talk, Darren, you used to talk about this field you called the blank slate, uh, where it had virtually no fertility in the ground and had a lot of problems going on. Can you give us an update on what you've done to manage that? Sure, Alex. Uh, I still call the field the blank slate. It'll probably always be that for me anyway, but it's not a blank slate anymore. Now it's a field that gets better than 200 bushel corn and it's something that just took a little time to get it built up what I did right away in the field and, and I, I'm guessing this is where you're coming from with your question I, I used a lot of highly available fertility right in the furrow and I, I was trying to feed that crop because I knew there weren't they weren't going to find much in the field it, it's a field that for those of you who haven't heard me talk about this blank slate field I got soil tests back, and in a good share of the field, it came back one part per million of phosphorus. And I thought, well, I guess it's better than zero. But uh, later that year, I was at a meeting, and and I was actually speaking, and one of the guys in the front row is one of the owners of Midwest Labs in Omaha. And he said, hey, Darren, I I just was looking at that soil test you were talking about today, and I saw you had one part per million of phosphorus. We don't put zeros on the test, so... It could be zero. I'm not saying it wasn't uh, one part per million, but that's as low as our scale goes. And he said, and on your zinc rating, it said 0.1 parts per million. Yeah, we don't put a zero on there either. So I don't know if you have any phosphorus or any zinc out there. So that made me feel really good. And I went to work building things up. So I used uh, Pro Germinator, which would be a, I used a couple different products from liquid. I used Pro Germinator as my phosphorus source, and I used SureK as my potassium source. Both are highly available liquids. I really like those products. I'm going to be using more of that this year across the farm, just because we didn't get our fall fertility out. So we're going to be aggressive at what we're doing at planting time to make sure we can feed the crop this year. Then the other thing that I did a lot of is micronutrients. So I was really short in P&K, but I was also really short in micros. And one thing that was kind of neat, Alex, is um, our farm manager, Mike, was planting, and, and it's it's got a lot of slope in this ground. And he didn't get the the micros turned on on one pass. And he he left it as a check strip, you know? Well, what do you do? I already planted it, and I didn't get the micro switch turned on, so that pump wasn't working. And so anyway, I had one little strip. Well, that strip looked like death about halfway through the season. And I said, "Mike, what happened back here? This there's a strip, and it's a planner width. So I know you were trying something." He's like, "Yeah, I I turned off the micros uh, maybe accidentally, but I thought I'd leave a nice check." And he goes, "Yeah, I didn't know if you were wasting money all the micros you are putting out out there, but it appears they're doing their job. So we'll make sure we can stay with that." And I I was putting on a pretty substantial rate of a micronutrient blend product called micro 500 to, to to try to keep things up. Well, in the meantime, uh, we've done some broadcast applications out there with lime and uh, with PK trying to build those levels up. So at least I'm at a a reasonable level where I can raise a decent crop. And then I'm certainly continuing on with my uh, program in furrow and in a two by two to try to, Uh, feed the crop, give it some more available fertility, and shoot for some higher yields. We got some drainage tile put in in some areas of that field. Yeah, it's going to be a whole different piece of ground than when I first bought it. Thanks for asking. I actually really appreciate that. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this.
2: If you're a rancher who's obsessed with keeping your pastures clear, turn to Grazon Next herbicide. It offers superior broadleaf weed control, so instead of thinking about weeds, you can think about the money you'll save growing more grass and buying less feed. Used early in the season, Grazon Next also provides residual activity that controls newly emerged weed seedlings, giving you season-long control. Start enhancing your land while you protect it. Visit leavetheweedstous.com to learn more about Grazon Next. Always read and follow label directions. In farming, there's a lot of variables out of our control. Don't let fertility be one of them. Let the experts at AgroLiquid move you closer to your bullseye. It's true, AgroLiquid fertilizers are formulated to keep nutrients available to your crop, and they have unmatched compatibility with other nutrients and crop protection products, which makes application more efficient than ever. But we also have the best people in the field ready to talk about your operation, your goals. Go to agroliquid.com to move you closer closer to your target.
4: Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation, from pre-plant to harvest. Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more.
2: In farming, getting things done early has a way of setting you up for success, like using Corvus for an early season win over weeds. Corvus keeps even the toughest weeds from gaining a foothold. Multiple sites of action deliver superior control of emerged weeds. And later, Corvus reactivates with just a half inch of rain to take out any new weeds that may have sprouted. So get an early season win against weeds with Corvus for end-of-season rewards. Always read and follow label instructions. Corvus is a restricted-use pesticide. High-yield corn growers know that feeding the crop and soil are keys to maximizing yield potential. Nutex EDA and Reverb are specifically formulated to help manage limiting factors associated with today's farming conditions. Nutex EDA works within the plant to support nutrient mobility and utilization. Reverb focuses on the soil, providing beneficial trace elements which help condition the root zone for optimal microbial activity. Low use rates and superb tank mix compatibility make Nutex EDA and Reverb no-brainers in the High Yield Grower Toolbox.
0: You're listening to Ag PhD radio broadcasting from the Morton studio today. And we're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time. If you have a question for us, you can give us a call at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can send us an email radio at agphd.com. And I should mention, you can also find us on Twitter, Ag PhD media, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. Uh, let's get back. Another question here. This one, um, is pretty is pretty neat. Okay, said I, I was watching a video that you guys had posted about spring soil sampling. And the first couple of years, uh, and this year included, I, I've pulled my soil samples in the spring. One question I've always had, if I would pull the samples in the fall and then afterwards do fall tillage, would getting those stocks incorporated into the ground change what my soil sample would be? Uh, just kind of curious what what you think about that. I'm waiting till spring, so uh, obviously that change has already been made. So Brian, when we look at this, the difference between fall samples and spring and depends on when you pull stuff in the spring and where you're at as to I mean if you're in the Great White North and you had six winter or six months of frozen ground, I can't imagine the soil samples changed a lot. But if you're further south and it never froze and you had a lot of time for the microbes in your soil to break things down and, and maybe release some of that fertility back, I would expect to change.
1: Okay, so first of all, with the tillage, is that going to change anything substantially? No, it's not, as long as the tillage is not deeper than 6 inches. If the tillage is deeper than 6 inches, well then obviously, and you've pulled a 6-inch test, you are stirring things uh, in there differently, so that would change it. But in terms of like nutrient breakdown, we're going to speed it up with tillage, So you'll burn up organic matter a little faster, but those are changes that are going to happen next year, not this year. So in terms of if you want to soil sample before or after fall tillage, I would encourage you to do it before so you don't have any of that residue that's kind of mixed in there. It'll be a little bit more accurate sample, and it's a lot easier driving out there when you haven't done tillage. In terms of sampling in the spring, yes, it does make an awful lot of difference where you are at. In other words, if you've had lots of heat, between when you would normally sample in the fall and when you're going to sample in the spring, that heat means that you're going to have more organic matter mineralization. Now, if you have cover crop growing out there, for example, well, the cover crop is going to use up some nutrients. So now that could actually lower your number instead of raising the number, which heat alone will do. So yeah, it it definitely makes a difference. But I would just say in general, if you're out there really early in the spring versus relatively late in the fall, the numbers are going to be virtually identical. Uh, there was one question, I think it was last week or the week before, Darren, that we ran out of time to finish it up. A similar question to this, but the guy asked, well, how about if I soil sample in the summer? I have time in the summer, I think, was, uh, was where right. I was going with this. Could I sample in the summer, and would that work? Well, you can, but the problem is I don't know how far you are along in the organic matter mineralization process and also in the – uh, in, in terms of how many of the nutrients have been pulled from the soil by your current crop. Okay, so let's say it's real early in the, during the growing season. The crop's pretty small yet. There probably isn't much of either of those things. So you could soil sample then, but the problem is you're going to have to add on whatever came available with organic matter, and you're going to have to subtract off whatever at least grain removal is with that crop. So I'm just trying to say it's it's better than nothing but would I want to do that? No. I would prefer to sample early in the spring or preferably late in the fall. That's what I'd like to do.
0: All right. Uh, similar question. Gavin asked, he said, I've never soil sampled in the past. I've just been farming for three years. But I'm curious, do fertilizer recommendations change based on spring or fall pulled tests? And then also, uh, do you see a big difference between labs?
1: No. And in terms of difference between labs, we see a difference in not only labs, but also in terms of extraction methods. So in other words, there are certain extraction methods, like let's just take the malic 3 in a high pH soil, that may still show a lot of manganese. For example, a DTPA test, the exact same soil, if it's high pH, will show almost no manganese. So that's a little confusing, and that's one of the few things that varies a lot. Most of the other tests, they may not, Uh, they will at least correlate to some degree with a lot of labs. So in other words, if you say, well, this lab is always double on the level of phosphorus, and then it will kind of hold true. And this lab is always double on the level of zinc versus this other lab. It'll kind of hold true. Other than the malic 3 versus the DTPA and manganese especially. That's the one that doesn't correlate so well.
0: Okay, thanks for the question, Gavin, and uh, good luck as you get started soil sampling. I I would recommend taking a look at the Ag PhD Soils app and and, uh, looking at pulling your own samples, but if you're having somebody else do that for you, I just work with them from day one, from the start of the program on where those tests are going to be, how frequently you need to test, uh, how big an area you're going to put in each test. Maybe say, let's do two and a half acre grids to start, something like that. Uh, And if you have any more questions along those lines, just let us know. Go on from Adam here. He said, "I'm down in Southeast Alabama, and I'd like to try using a field cultivator to go through my field that I had just harvested a previous crop of corn from. I want to incorporate yellow-based herbicides like trifluralin, and I'm wondering what you think about that. Are there would a field cultivator work as a first pass through those fields? What type and brand are we using?"
1: Okay, so. Just to run out with a field cultivator after corn in our country is going to be really tough. Now, I don't know how all those stocks have broken down. So, I, I, you know, I don't know, you know, what your population was. If, let's say, you had enough heat and, and natural breakdown from rain and bacteria and everything else, maybe it's possible. But most field cultivators don't like that much residue. So, if it'll go through fine. Uh, if, if the main question is, is a field cultivator a good tool to put a yellow on with, then my answer to that is typically yes. So the big thing is we just want to get the yellow covered and get it in the ground a little bit. If you're also putting, let's say, metribuzin and a PPO with that, like Valor or Authority, then I would suggest keeping it pretty shallow. Uh, with, if it's just a yellow, like trifluralin or sonalan, Even if you get it down in the ground a little ways, no big deal because those products will become a gas in the soil and they will move upward to some degree.
0: All right. Um, You know, that's, yeah, the field cultivator here, we just don't have any breakdown from fall until now. And, so it's, it's different. And I know we talk to other growers in the south and, and they say, man, when we get our microbes working in our soil very well, we get a lot of breakdown. That's awesome. And if so, it, it may work just fine for you. Otherwise, yeah, we'd probably have another pass in there in addition to field cultivator. OK, uh, I get a question here from Gomer. He says, I'm wondering about tiling. And is there a ratio of air to water or something that can and should be sampled before laying tile?
1: No. And the reason why is that varies every single day. So you're, you're going to have water entering in from rainfall or flooding. You're going to have water going out from crop removal or just simply it's percolating down through the soil. So ideally what we're looking for in a soil is roughly 50% dirt, 25% water, 25% air. If you have that ratio, then that is typically ideal for crops and for soil microbes.
0: Now the one thing, Brian, in terms of soil testing before tile, if you are pulling soil tests and you notice that my pH is rising, my nutrients that should be leachable, like boron and sulfur and chloride and, and those kinds of things, are building up in my soil, my soluble salts are building up, Uh, that would indicate that I've got a drainage issue and that may be something that you look at just on a regular complete nutrient analysis. It may give you an indication of if tile could help.
1: Okay, the other thing is just to monitor your water table. We're lucky in one of our fields, U.S. Geological Survey has a monitoring well, so I get a report every single day on what is the, the level of the water table. And based on that, I know when I should turn on my lift station pump and when I should turn it off for the tile that's in my field. So that's helpful. You could put in one of those things yourself. doesn't cost all that much money to monitor the water table.
0: All right. Thanks for the question. Really appreciate that. Yeah, as you get into tiling, it's it's pretty interesting, some of the lessons that you'll learn. Uh, I've got some more questions coming up that we'll get to right after this break. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD
2: Radio.
1: Every farmer knows that in order to be profitable, you need to maximize the return on your crop input investments. Hi, I'm Scott Harms, an agris specialist with Grain PhD. Without an effective and flexible strategy, your grain marketing plan gets stuck in the mud. With Grain PhD, you get the clarity and guidance a solid marketing plan needs. Our free Grainbridge software simplifies your cost-profit analysis, and our risk specialists are here to help you develop your plan. Sign up today at GrainPhD.com. Increase
2: your productivity with Hypro's Dual React Control System. The dual nozzle body design allows you to drive at the speed you want while maintaining the rate and droplet size you need. Hypro, helping you spray better. Interested in strip tillage? You should know about the Soil Warrior from ETS. With one-pass efficiency, optimized nutrient placement, and reduced production costs for higher profitability, the Soil Warrior brings the future to your farm. Visit SoilWarrior.com to learn more.
4: Hey, Bill, any advice to control tough weeds and rootworms? That's easy, Jim. Buy two, save three. Wait, for weeds and rootworms? Buy two,
2: save three. Combine your Impact or new Impact Z herbicide purchase with a qualifying insecticide and save $3 per acre. Buy two, save three. That is good advice. For details, go to buy2save3.com. Impact, Impact Z, and Buy2Save3 are trademarks owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions.
5: Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the Steps GMS app, temperature-humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need Steps GMS. Contact us today at StepsGMS.com.
4: You know what's convenient? If you're a soybean grower, what's convenient is Zidua Pro Herbicide. That's because you get fast and complete burn down together with up to two weeks longer residual than other herbicides and three sites of action for broad spectrum weed control plus built in resistance management. All in one convenient jug. And that turns out to be very inconvenient for pigweed, water hemp, and mares tail. Contact your local BASF rep today. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. With the success of the Case IH
2: Diger quad track and Magnum road track tractors, it's no secret why Case IH is the leader of the track. So it wasn't surprising when the competition started imitating us. Because Case IH offered the first five axle design to give you more power to the ground with less berming and compaction, all to help you be more productive. Still, we're flattered. In fact, if we weren't already red, we'd be blushing. To learn more, visit caseih.com tracks.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're taking your calls and questions throughout the rest of the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. And we've got Jess on the line down in Arkansas right now. Jess, how's it going?
3: Pretty good. How are you guys doing?
0: Not too bad. Not too bad. I understand you got a dicamba soybean question, and I think that's awesome coming from Arkansas. What you got?
3: Well, I don't want to be the only jerk in the area completely surrounded by Dicamba and go back with Liberty Link, so I decided to go <laughs> with Dicamba. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't blame I don't want you. I be the susceptible crop. <laughs> um, yep. So, just asking about uh, trees for Dicamba. I have never, ever in my life grown a Dicamba bean. Okay. So, looking at what a good pre-recommendation would be uh, – Going in in front
0: of the veins. Okay, so you want to do an awesome job. So hopefully, you don't have to spray dicamba as your idea?
3: Absolutely.
0: Okay, okay. Uh, well, it isn't really that much different from, from other soybeans in, in that it's going to be tolerant to all the same pre emerge herbicides. Your one exception would be you could use dicamba in the burn down if you wanted to. If if you're out there early, is it it's going to be a full season dicamba crop or is it in a double crop situation?
3: No, it's a full season crop.
0: Okay, awesome. Awesome. Okay, so that would be the one addition is you could potentially use dicamba. And I know some of the guys that say, man, I'm nervous about it when it gets really warm down here, uh, using it in that burn down, Brian, what would you say on that? Is your risk level much lower in those types of applications?
1: Well, I, I love how you asked me that question, Darren, and you already know the answer to that question. Of course, it's much <laughs> lower than you spring earlier. But anyway, and I also love, Darren, how you said it's not much different than anything else. It's exactly the same for the pre's. We're going to tell you uh, the same thing on the pre side. We would still like to have you put down a yellow, and I realize not many guys in your area do that. We like to see you use some metribuzin, which most guys are now using, and a PPO, which most guys are using. So uh, we're talking valor or authority plus metribuzin plus either trifluralin if I'm working the ground or prowl if I'm not. So that's what I do pre-emerge. And then what I would do on the early post side is I, I, you can at least consider this. Now, on your, in your cleanest fields, you don't have to do this. But on, your, on the early post side, we're still big believers in Femesophen, that's Flexstar, along with maybe some Warrant or Dual Outlook, Zidua, one of those group 15 herbicides. Uh, so we get ourselves more residual. So guys will talk about overlapping residual, basically. But, I mean, that is something you could certainly do. So now I've given you five different products that I would use on my farm, and we do if we've got a lot of weeds out there and we want to try to minimize the number of times we have to go out there with the Dicamba.
0: Yeah, the okay. I, I'm with you, Jess. There's a lot of guys that are just a little bit nervous, and they really want to be good neighbors. And I really appreciate that you brought that up. That look, I'm just trying to be a good neighbor here. I'm willing to plant a different trait than I normally would, and you know, I don't want to have any drift issues onto my neighbors and that kind of thing. And man, I respect that because we, we all we all can point out a couple of neighbors that maybe could have been a little more cautious around us. Uh, but uh, hey, but I'm glad but, you're you're hey, trying you your best.
1: That though, Darren. Yep, And the other side of this whole thing is cost. And so I'm sure as soon as people hear me say, oh, I just gave you five different herbicides to use, people are going, what? I can't even afford three. How do you want me to put five on there? But I look at this as Metribuzin is pretty cheap. Trifluralin is it's four. Metribuzin
0: is in eight. tight um, supply, though, Brian. That's, that's one that if you're going to get yeah, that, I'd, I I'd that. get it, I'd get to your dealer and get it picked up.
1: Yeah, I know. But that's just a one-year deal. Next year, it'll be back to normal. I'm sure we'll get our trade deal worked out with China, and chemical prices will go back down again. I'm not that concerned about it for the long term. But even this year, it's not that expensive. And and there's premixes that it's available into. Yep, and then you look post-emerge, Flexstar doesn't cost much. That's pretty cheap now. A lot of the Group 15s have come way down in price. So if you look at all these things, all five of those things that I listed were all available 20 years ago. But compared to our price 20 years ago, they're all like a third less maybe even half as much as they were 20 years ago. So that's the good news is they're a lot cheaper. And, you know, I totally get that you don't want to spray dicamba a whole lot. I'm in the exact same boat on our farm. But I would tell you I'm excited for the future when we get the extend Flex beams out so then we could spray dicamba early and then you could go Liberty later on. Or, like for the guys that are running in list today, they can spray Liberty and then they can put 240 d together with it. Well, boy, if I put even a splash of 2,4-D together with my Liberty, that really improves the Liberty performance. That's
0: something we're excited about too as we move on. No, forward. I I agree, but Brian, okay, let's since Jess is in Arkansas and you specifically spent some time in the state of Arkansas and the Boot Hill of Missouri looking at, you know, a lot of the issues that happened the first year Dicamba came out for soybeans. What did you see as a strategy for guys that say, Look, I need to spray this for weed control? What really worked to help avoid problems?
1: Okay, so I was just talking to a bunch of agronomists and farmers about this today. Granted, this is in Minnesota, but nevertheless, it's the same type of deal. A lot of people say, all right, i got to spray when the wind is calm. But when is the wind calm? It's toward evening. And I was telling these people today, look, if you spray in the evening, all of a sudden your normal rain fast time that's one hour, maybe two hours, it goes to 12 hours or maybe 10 hours. And the reason why is because the humidity comes up in the evening, dew starts to form in the leaves and the product doesn't get fully absorbed. So what ends up happening, and this is exactly what I saw in Arkansas and Missouri when I was down there a year and a half ago when everybody's having all the problems, all kinds of people are spraying in the evening, okay? And with dicamba, it doesn't get absorbed into the the leaf, just like nothing would get absorbed into the leaf fully when you spray that way, okay? And then it volatilizes. Well, if you look at Roundup, that doesn't volatilize. And a lot of the other products we deal with, they don't volatilize. And what volatility is, It's going to turn to a vapor, and so a little bit will move up in the air. Well, the problem with that is, yes, yesterday the wind might have been out of the south, but now the very next day, okay, what happens? If the wind is out of the north and there's still a little bit of vapors going up, now we got a drift issue on the sensitive crop. So I have just told guys... Ideally, what I want, if I'm spraying near sensitive crop, is that wind has to be blowing for 48 hours away from the neighbor after I spray. If you do that, we don't have issues.
0: Well, Jess, we gave you a whole lot of stuff there. Uh, hopefully that helps you this year, But uh, but good luck as you go into the spring.
3: Okay, y'all. Have a great day, guys. I really appreciate it.
0: You bet. You as well. You as well. Uh, get a question here or I'm sure a comment here. Uh, Hey, uh, I've been watching your videos online. They're really helping me. Uh, thank you. Keep them coming. Really appreciate that. That's from Surish. And from Sarah, she said, uh, I'm a student. I've been watching your informative videos online. They're really helping me with my studies. Really appreciate those comments. Uh, Brent says, uh, you talked about controlling compass weed as your weed of the week. I just wanted you to know it's really not a problem. The cattle graze it and eat it just fine. Uh, don't don't understand why you'd have to control it. Well, that's just in one spot, Brent. Uh, if if it would happen to be in another area where you're trying to grow a crop, then then that would be a concern. And you know, weeds so, are just plants growing that, in the wrong place.
1: Right. That's the whole thing. It's funny, Darren. Every we get emails on a regular basis from people that'll say, "Oh, you can't kill that plant. It's a beneficial plant." Whatever. Um, I, I I try to kill corn several times during the summer corn well that's our number one crop on our farm i want to kill it if it's in soybeans just like i want to kill soybeans if they're in corn because they are hurting that other crop and if you haul grain to the elevator if you haul soybeans to the elevator if there's enough corn in it are they going to dock you of course they are so we can't have that in there and so yeah i agree with you 100 percent darren a weed is just simply a plant growing where we don't want it to grow
0: All right. Got one from Randy in Oklahoma. He said, I I caught one of your winter meetings at Dodge City and heard you talk about high pH ground that's irrigated. I've got a soil pH of 8, sodium level at 5.9% on my base saturation, and my irrigation water has been found to be high in sodium. Are there sulfur treatments for the soil and what would be an economical way to deal with that water?
1: I'm I'm not an expert on the water side but if it's me I'm absolutely talking to my irrigation people and I'm going to try to find something yeah, there that are is two. going to change that. Otherwise, I've got to I got to get different water.
0: Yeah, there are two things, Randy. One would be a sulfur burner, but they are a little bit dangerous. They There is a threat of explosion there, so talk to a dealer about a sulfur burner. The other thing, guys, are using Infuric, but it's not cheap. It's pretty expensive, uh, especially with that much sodium in the water. And then in terms of using sulfur to treat the soil, you've got to have good drainage. And for a lot of guys, I would say drainage tile is probably a must. Would you say so, Brian?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, you, you want good drainage, you might have to put tile in, you got to have good calcium levels so your soil is porous as well.
0: Yeah, so you, you can use something like elemental sulfur, that would be okay, but you've got to have drainage, otherwise it's really not going to work. But yeah, I'd start with getting that water fixed first. If we can stop adding to the problem, then then your problem's going to be able to start being managed. Thanks a lot, Randy, really appreciate that question. Thanks for coming to our workshop this winter as well. Thanks to you for listening, and be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.